Saint Church. We're in our Advent series, um, talking about love today. A couple of things before we get into the talk for this morning. If you uh, are new here, six eight comes from a verse in the Bible, Micah six eight, and we've decided to wrap our identity uh, around the kind of church we want to be. Um, some churches choose you know, names based on location and things like that, but we, we chose something about the kind of church we want to be, and that comes from Micah 6.8. It goes like this. There are some words in bold. I invite you to join me on those as we read this together. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so we want to be a church of disciples, a church of people who follow after Christ, who are doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly, and who are making disciples, who are training people to follow Christ, training people to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. One way you can help us do justice this morning is by taking the connection card, which is either in the back of the seat in front of you or the seat that you're sitting in, pull that out and uh, fill it out, check first or second time, as long as it's your first or second time. No lying, just to do justice, that's not gonna get us off to a good start here. If it's your first or second time, check that box, turn it into the offering at the end of the service, and we'll donate a pair of socks in your honor to Northwest Children's Outreach so you can help us do justice in our community simply by doing that. One thing uh, we do a little bit differently is we invite your feedback and comments during the sermon, and that uh, number to do that, you can text those in to 360-818-4399, Nine, nine. And I have a question that I would like for you to answer. It might take a little bit more typing than usual. But uh, have you ever done something for someone because another person was watching? Have you ever done something for someone because someone else was watching and you wanted to impress that other person? You wanted to, to, to make sure that this person noticed what you were doing for this person. Has, have you ever done that? If you have a, a story, a quick story you can share, text that in, 360-818-4399. As you're getting those ready, I have a clip I'd like you to watch. Have you ever done something for someone because someone else was watching? Feel free to text in anything you might have done. It's, it's anonymous, I won't reveal your identity, so you won't have to be embarrassed. But uh, as, we, as we get into this talk, I wanna ask another question. What is love? Love, what is love? How would you define love? Last week as we started this Advent series, we talked about hope. This week we're talking about love. Next week will be joy, and then the week before Christmas will be peace. Hope, love, joy, and peace. These are four of the things that we find in Christmas and Jesus Christ coming to earth and the hope of, hope of God with us and all the wonderful things. Today we're talking about love. What is love? How would you define love? As you're thinking about that, I want to remind you we've got our vines up here. We use these for uh, inviting people to this experience, to this community, to be a part of the 6-8 community, and that there are stickers that uh, will be on the backside of this beam up here. If you are inviting someone to church, I will encourage you, I would love for you to just come up and put a sticker on the vine. That represents your invitation to someone. That it represents that you are inviting someone to come. And this is a perfect time of year to invite. People are more likely to come to, or to church during the Christmas season than any other time of the year. And they're just used to it. It's part of what a lot of people are, are uh, born to, or uh, I guess been trained to do. 
Uh, so it's a great time to invite them, so make sure we're taking uh, advantage of this opportunity when people are more naturally inclined to come. Let's invite them and put your sticker up there so we can be encouraged and pray for one another. What is love? Love is putting the needs of others ahead of your own. You can text in your answers if you have some. Love is putting someone else before yourself. Love is sacrifice. Here's a a story. I was at my friend's house. I didn't read this, so uh, no guarantees. I was at my friend's house, and her mom was like, hey, can you help my daughter take out? I didn't didn't add the like in there. That That was in there. I was at my friend's house, and her mom was like, hey, can you help my daughter take out the trash? And I said yes, even though deep inside I was like, ugh, really? <clears throat> well, her mom is standing right there, so I can't say no, or I'll look like a rude person. <sighs> I did add the effects. They were typed in, but I bought a meal for a homeless man because I was with a very lost, impressionable teen who needed to see good in the world. That's a good example. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. (sighs) What is love? You see, things can go south really quickly around these parts. You must be a South Pole elf. Anyway, um, we've got some ground to cover, so I hope you'll join me. Uh, We've got a lot of scripture we're going to look at this morning. What is love? Love is something I think that we've talked about a fair amount of times here, but I wanna really dig into it a little bit. What is love? Love is not how the world defines love to be. In fact, that would probably be quite the opposite. Love is helping others sometimes. The awareness of others watching uh, changes the spirit of helping, focus back on him and honor in his, I didn't get the whole message. Yeah, now we're just texting in song lyrics. It's not unusual to me. Anyway. Heartache. Love is heartache. Yeah, there's some aspects of that. The world would define love as basically a contract, right? It would be, um, you do this for me, and I will do this for you, and if you stop doing this for me, then I'm going to stop doing this for you, right? I mean, so, so when we get into relationships with, with people, with other human beings, with others who, who are, uh, are, are fallen and broken like us, then when somebody, inevitably, when it happens, somebody disappoints us in some way, whether, whether it was an expressed disappointment or a preconceived, unverbalized, you know, read my mind, how could you not read my mind, kind of a disappointment, we, we get mad, and so we decide, well, the contract is broken because they didn't live up to their end of the contract, and so I'm out too. We part ways, and we're done. But love in, in, the, in the context of Scripture, love in the context of the gospel has a much different definition. It's not defined in terms of contract. If you do this for me, uh, we'll, we'll be in love, and as soon as you break that, we're out. It's defined in terms of a covenant. It's defined in terms of covenant. And uh, we're going to look at covenant this morning. We're going to look at what a covenant is and how that plays into this whole idea of Christmas and the love that we experience at Christmas. And uh, it's a word that we probably haven't talked about very much, and so it may be a foreign word for you. Love is loving others before yourself. 
What is love? We should give as though someone is watching and we should be trying uh, to impress them because the one watching is God. Don't steal the thunder of my sermon here. That's, love is putting others' needs ahead of your own. Love is a verb. DC talk. What is a covenant though? What is covenantal love and how does it differ from contractual love? How is it different from what we're, from what we're used to? So. Um, Let's take a look at a video, it's called uh, A Covenant, and there's a group called, um, I think it's called Animate the Bible. Has anyone heard of this group? They're, they're kind of new, they're actually from Portland, they're popping up on the scene, you'll probably start to see their videos coming through. Um, Josh Espasandon, who is Becky's cousin, he animated our videos for the night before Christmas Eve that we watched last year, we'll have again on uh, December 23rd this coming year, while he just got uh, brought on to help do some of the animating for these videos. They have a goal of animating the entire Bible. They wanna, they wanna do the major themes through the Bible. They wanna animate uh, the, the books and, and try to get the whole Bible animated and share the Bible that way in the digital world that we live in. And this is one of their videos. It's called uh, Covenant. What's a covenant? One of the guys was at Multnomah while I was there. I don't know him, but he was at the school. I was there, I recognize him. So if they ever get famous, I can say I knew somebody that was famous. <laughs> As I started, as this has been the case uh, through uh, this Advent series so far, as I'm digging into these ideas, what I'm discovering is that they are so vast and complex that there's no possible way I can do them justice in one talk. And so what my push is going to be, what I'm hoping is that you will actually do some research on your own. You will, you will read the Bible, you will see what the Bible has to say about this. I would love it if you would go and, um, and I can make a study guide. They actually make study guides available for the videos and I can share that with you. You can go and you can look up these four covenants, you can read them in their context where they were originally written down and then you can get to know the covenants of scripture for yourself and not just be relying on me to share them with you. You need to be reading the Bible and especially making sure that what I'm saying is what the Bible says, not just what I'm trying to make it say because it would be very easy for me to do that especially if you never read your Bible, uh, I could easily manipulate, manipulate you into believing what I think you should believe instead of what the Bible says. So read your Bibles. It's important. Um, yeah, and those who know me uh, know you really better read your Bible. No, I'm just kidding. Well, so we had these old covenants, the, the covenants in the, old, uh, in the Old Testament. Now we have this new covenant. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on the covenants of the Old Testament other than to say that they, they lead into where we are right now talking about Christmas. The, the covenants of the Old Testament led to the Messiah. The covenants of the Old Testament actually ended up promising that the Messiah would come and that he would redeem Israel and he would restore Israel into a proper standing, a right relationship with God. So now we have this new covenant. Jesus, Jesus came and he ushered in a new covenant. Every time we celebrate communion, we talk about this new covenant. What is this new covenant? And if a covenant is a partnership, if a covenant is a relationship, so God makes promises and then we have responsibilities, you know, God, God's going to do this and we have to do this in response to the covenant, then what are the promises and what is our response? What is our responsibility within these covenants? Well, I want to talk about quickly, cover a lot of scripture that kind of set up four of the key rewards, the, 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 the big aspects of this new covenant. The first one is Emmanuel, God with us. And we're going to be all over the place. The scripture should be up on the screen for you. So uh, just follow along as best you can and, and we'll get there together. 
Emmanuel, God with us. I want to read uh, this, this passage for you. My version is just a little bit different than what's on the screen. You can fill in the gaps. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish from the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, I will write them on their hearts, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. There's a lot in this, in this passage. First, he's pulling a prophecy from the book of Jeremiah. I believe it's Jeremiah chapter 33, if you wanna go look it up. He's pulling a prophecy of the new covenant that, that, that uh, would be coming through the Messiah, and we see it here in verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel at that, after that time. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So here we're starting to see the promise of the new covenant. One of the, one of the initial promises that we experience is Emmanuel, God with us. This is, as we'll see with a lot of them, this is a now and a not yet fulfillment of the promise. So there's the now, which is Jesus Christ came and he died, he walked on the earth, and then he left his Holy Spirit to fill us and power us so that we could live, so that we could know his law, so that we can know his things, but there is still a yet an, an, un, an incompleteness to it that will be fulfilled at our ultimate salvation. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. So here's the promise, this is the promise of the new covenant, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Jesus came, he was born as a baby at Christmas time, and he came and he was celebrated, he was ushered in as Emmanuel, 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 God with us is what that means, that word Emmanuel means God with us, and then after he went through his earthly ministry, he died, he rose again, then he said he would leave another comforter, an advocate to walk with us, to empower us to live this life in the new covenant, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He's talking about will be, because this is before he's died and ascended. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus is speaking. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then later, verse 25, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is the Holy Spirit promise. This is a promise that Jesus is making that, that God will be with us, that God we got the, uh, he will be our God and we will be his people. God in our presence, God with us. We are in the presence of God, which was something that was not possible in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. But it's a not yet prophecy because, it's a not yet promise because is everyone around us thinking the same way? Is everyone around us, uh, does everyone, could you say everyone around us knows the Lord? Does everyone around us uh, 
uh, know all of the teaching of Scripture? Have we, have we been completely enlightened and completely made aware of everything? Of course, there are people around us who don't know these things yet, so there is a not yet part of the promise. So Emmanuel, God with us, that's the first thing. The second one is inheritance in the kingdom of God. This is a big deal, and uh, we've talked about it a lot because as sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, so Jesus Christ came as a son, he died on the cross, he left the Holy Spirit, he covers us in his blood when we repent of our sins, when we decide that we're sinners, we need, we need grace, we need to be saved, then he washes us in his righteousness, and so now we are righteous in God's eyes because we have been covered in the righteousness of Christ, and because of the work that Jesus did, we now have an inheritance as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. That's amazing. Listen to this, Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So the promised eternal inheritance is another promise of the new covenant that we are promised an eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. Emmanuel, God with us, the inheritance in the kingdom of God, freedom from sin, eternal redemption and forgiveness. This is a great one. Freedom from sin, eternal redemption and forgiveness. Still in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 15, part B. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So Jesus died, he set us free from the ransom, he paid the ransom for us so that we wouldn't have to pay it uh, for the sins that we committed and we we're bound to under the first covenant. Hebrews 9, 12, a little bit earlier in the chapter. He, Jesus, entered the most holy place one, uh, once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So Jesus went in, he, he went into the holy place and, and paid the price once and for all. So we don't have to go into the holy place just like we hear a lot in the Old Testament, a priest going into the holy, pla holy place, paying a, a, a sacrifice for their own sins and then offering a sacrifice for the sins of the rest of the people. Jesus did that once and for all time. We don't have to do that anymore. We have eternal redemption. Later in chapter nine, verse 22 and 26. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, but he has appeared once for all at the uh, culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Freedom from sin, eternal redemption and forgiveness. This is the promise of the new covenant. The promise of the new covenant is instead of God being something that we never have access to, God is with us, we have access to him. Instead of the kingdom of God being something that we hope to come into and just feast on the scraps as paupers, we are now welcomed in as sons and daughters into the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And instead of being bound by sin and instead of trying to earn our redemption, we now have free redemption through the work of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of our sins. This is the new covenant. And then part of the new covenant is we have an intercessor. We have someone who now stands permanently between us and God, making a case between us and God so that we are not condemned. And this is what Jesus Christ does now after he ascended. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 17. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, you should know, was a different priest than all of the other priests of the Old Testament. All of the other priests of the Old Testament were uh, out of the tribe of Levi, but Melchizedek was out of the tribe of Judah, which is, which is an anomaly, and he was also a king and a priest at the same time. It is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So listen to that. So a better hope 
The old law is gone. A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So here's fulfillment of that other promise of being able to draw near to God because of what Jesus Christ did as a priest permanently. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Because of this oath that God has placed on him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, Jesus is a priest forever on our behalf. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. So he is the one that guarantees the promise of the new covenant. It's not on us to fulfill the promise. It is on Jesus and what he did. He has guaranteed it on our behalf. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented Uh, since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men and all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. We have an intercessor interceding on our behalf forever, for all of time. And then the last, the last part of the promise, at least that we're gonna cover of the new covenant, is salvation. We just heard it there at the end of Hebrews chapter nine. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So we are saved now, but there is also a not yet aspect to our salvation. We are saved in this moment. Right now, Christ has covered us in his righteousness. God sees us as redeemed. We are redeemed in the image of God. We are saved. We have received this gift of salvation. But there is an ultimate salvation that is still coming when we will all think like Christ, we'll all walk like Christ, we'll all act like Christ, and we will be in God's presence. Jesus and God will be actually there face-to-face with us. That is the ultimate salvation that we're looking forward to, and that's part of the promise of the new covenant. So there, I know I just covered a whole lot of territory, and if you want, I can give you all these scripture references. You can go look them up yourself, and you kind of dig into this a little bit more. But those are the promises that God made. Shoe fly, don't bother me. Those are the promises God has made in the covenant. Now, what's our role in this partnership? So we see that a covenant is the promise God has made, and then we, we extend our hand to fulfill our role in the partnership. What is our role? Can anyone guess what our role is in this partnership? Love, do, 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 all you need is love, right? This is, this is the, the, the one thing that you can look through in, in the New Testament and Jesus' teaching. If you're looking for a new command, we have, the, we have the Ten Commandments. Those are not abolished. We're still under those. We still have a right to fulfill those. But, but this new command, what is this new command that Jesus has given? Yes, he taught a lot of things, and there are a lot of things that he said to do, but the explicit, clear new command that Jesus gives us is love. John chapter 13 A new command, this is Jesus speaking, a new command I give you, love one another. 
This is the new command. This is our role in the partnership. This is our role in the fulfillment of this new covenant. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How does the world know that we follow Christ? Love, right? How does the world know we follow Christ? Love. It's how we love that the world will see that we're different. So we talked about this difference in the way the world loves, this contractual love that the world has, and this covenantal love that we've been given, we've been blessed with by God. It's entirely different. We, we do not extend love to the world only if they reciprocate. We extend unconditional love to the world because they deserve it, because this is how we love God. This is the new command. John chapter 14, Jesus is still speaking. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, what are his commandments? Later in John chapter 14, verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. John chapter 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. If you want an interesting read, go read John chapter 13 all the way through chapter 15, and you will see that the the number one thing Jesus is most concerned with his disciples doing is loving one another. And it's an explicit, it's a clear, it's a direct kind of love. It's not the love that we've talked about. It's a love that lays down itself for someone. It's sacrifice. It is, this is what Jesus said. This is how you will know what love is when someone lays down their life for another. This is, how, this is what love looks like. It's sacrifice, sacrificing yourself for someone else. This is what love is supposed to look like. And to be honest, this is not in my notes, but I think we've allowed this misconceived, messed up, flawed, broken love to infiltrate the church, and we've bought into the idea that, that there is a contract between us and the community of Christ, and when the community of Christ that we're part of fails to meet that contract, we bail, we run, we leave, and so when, when this body of Christ, this body of people that come together under the banner of Christ, and when somebody inevitably does something to offend us because we're all offended and offendable, If you don't believe me, just go look on Facebook. We're like the most easily offended generation in history. <laughs> when somebody does something to offend us, what is our response? Do we lean into the covenantal love, the committed love, the sacrificial love? I am here because I am a part of this community. I'm going to lay myself down for you. Or do we run because you broke the contract? And I think if you look at the church, if you look across the church, especially in North America and and, uh, in American Christianity, what you will see is contractual love based on the church keeping my, my contract and as soon as they break it, I run. The world will know we are his disciples by our love. Sacrificial love for one another, love that lays itself down for others. 
At some point in time, I will probably do something that pushes you wrong. At some point in time, I will probably offend you. I will say something that you don't like. I will push the wrong button, and your response will determine if you are going to be committed to me as your brother in Christ on on a covenantal level or a contractual level. I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not looking at anyone. I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone. I'm just saying that at some point in our relationship, as God has me here, I'm going to say something. It's going to hit you the wrong way. You're going to get mad. You're going to get offended. And what you do in that moment will will determine whether you have bought into the covenantal love of the new covenant, the sacrificial love that, that Jesus commanded us, or you're still living under the contractual love of the world. The same is true for me. You will do something to offend me. You will say something stupid and you will get on my nerves. Not that that ever happens in the church. But um, what my response to you will determine, will, will tell you what kind of love I have for you. Do I have a covenantal love or do I have a contractual love? If you let me down, do I walk away and forget you? Or do I lean into the brokenness, lean into the mess, and lay down my life for you? Because that's the kind of love we've been commanded to give one another. What does this mean for our day-to-day lives? What does this mean as we leave this place and as we go out and be the light of God's love in this world? If there's anything that overcomes our love for another, then we're not living up to our end of the covenant. According to Jesus' command, this is how you know what love is when you lay down your life for someone else. The only way to break the new covenant, the love of the new covenant, is death. When we we die, then, then we obviously can't love that person anymore because they're gone or we're gone. But until we have laid down our life or until they have come to the end of their life, We are committed to loving one another. So I have to ask a question. Is there someone in your life that you're not loving? This is how it plays out in our day-to-day lives. Is there someone in your life right now that you're just not loving, that for some reason you can't love? They've done something to wound you. They've done something to offend you. They've set you on, on a course for collision with them in some way, shape, or form, and you've decided that you're not going to love them anymore. Is there someone in your life that you're not loving? Is there someone in your life that you haven't forgiven? Well, you, you don't know what they did to me. If you knew what they had done, you wouldn't forgive them either. You might be right. Under your circumstances, I may not be able to forgive. You see, love keeps no record of wrong. And so the responsibility in this new covenant love we have is forgiveness. Forgiving one another unconditionally in an unlimited amount of times we forgive. No matter how deep the wound is, no matter how broken we are as a result of what someone else has done for us, no matter how the the actions of someone else has affected us in this negative way, no matter what it is, we forgive. Why do we forgive? Because we have been forgiven. 
We say, you don't know what they did to me. If you knew what they did, you wouldn't forgive them either. But what about the sins we committed against God and the free forgiveness we have in Christ Jesus? There may be one wound or there may be one set of offenses between you and someone else, but we have a lifetime of offense against God and he offers forgiveness freely. Freely you have received, freely give. How does this play out in our day-to-day lives? Well, I would love people, but I've just been hurt too many times. At some point, you gotta wise up and you just stop putting yourself out there because you just don't wanna get hurt. I, I used to love people, but I don't anymore because they just keep hurting me. And I think this is part of our misunderstanding of the new covenant. See, our expression of love for God is in loving one another. So when we are loving one another, we're not just loving one another. What we're actually doing is showing our love for God, that that we are giving God love by loving one another. We are giving God love by, by, by giving unconditional love to each other. See, it's not on others to earn our love. We give that love freely. It's not on someone else to come and do a set of things so that we can finally give them our love, but we give them our love freely, and in doing so, we are worshiping God. In doing so, we are glorifying God. In doing so, we are actually loving God. While we are loving others, the love of others is not our primary motivation. It's our love for God that motivates us to love one another. The ultimate reason that we love others is because we're loving God by loving others. I guarantee you, at some point, you're going to be hurt by someone. Whether it's in this church, whether it's in your family, or someone maybe you haven't even met yet, you are going to be hurt. We are going to be taken advantage of. We will be mistreated and neglected. This is how the world works, and this is the kind of love that the world is used to. Of course we are going to be hurt because we are in a hurt and broken and fallen world. But see, we're not of this world. We are, have been called now out of this world. This is not our home. We are temporary dwellers in this place. We've been called to another world, an eternal inheritance has been given to us. We've been called to this other world, and that means that not only are we not of this world, but our love is not of this world. So when we love, we don't love like the world loves. We love like God has loved us. So no matter how many times we get hurt, we continue to love because we're expressing our love for God by loving others, even if it causes us pain. But we will be hurt. In fact, I got another clip I want you to see. When you're doing something for others to show love to God, you will be hurt. My question is, how do we respond when we're doing this? When we're loving God by loving others, how do we respond? Do we respond with, Hop on, Gert. Or do we respond with, maybe I should stand on your feet? <laughs> See, this unconditional love that we've been given is a hop on, Gert kind of love. Hop on, Gert. You're going to hurt me. 
I know it's gonna hurt when you step on my feet. I know it's gonna, I'm not going to be able to dance the way I think I should be able to dance. It's going to be painful, it's going to cost me a lot. I know that, but you know what, hop on. <laughs> Let's give it a whirl. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if I can't love you in this way. See, in this world, you will have many troubles. In this world that we live in, it's broken and fallen. We are going to be hurt. We're going to be taken advantage of. We are going to be mistreated. We are going to be neglected. We are going to be pushed to the side over and over again, especially those who love unconditionally. Those who love like Christ has loved will be taken advantage of. We can tell you stories about how people want to take advantage of churches because of their unconditional love, and and it's it's a common problem, but that does not ever for one second mean we stop loving. We always always offer our unconditional love to one another, to the world outside us, and this is how the world will know we are Christians. In this world, you will have troubles. You will have many troubles. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna hurt, but take heart. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, has overcome this world. So whatever this world has to throw at us, whatever this world has to bring in our direction, whatever the pain that is coming at us from this world, it cannot compare to the love of God because the love of God has overcome it already. That's the hope, that's the love of Christmas. Jesus Christ came at Christmas and he started this whole new covenant, this whole new promise of love. And he did it by walking and setting the example giving it to us freely, and then asking us to reciprocate by passing it on to the world around. I'm gonna ask the band to come. And I wanna pray for us this morning. As much as we may think that we are able to love unconditionally, to love as we have been loved, to love as God has loved us. I know from my own life that it's not always possible to live it out that way. I know it's not always within my own ability and my own strength to respond in this unconditional love. That's why God sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to love in ways that we don't have the power to do. But if you're here this morning and you're suffering a wound from having loved someone, if you're suffering a wound because you love someone unconditionally, I wanna pray for you. And if you are struggling to forgive someone, if you're struggling to show love to someone, if there's just this one hang up in your mind where you just, you can't get over this thing, I wanna pray for you that God would be able to set you free from that so that you can truly unconditionally love. So let's pray together. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. I just, if there's someone in your life that you just can't love right now, I wanna pray for you. Heavenly Father, I know that there are countless ways, there are tens of thousands of ways that we can be wounded. There are tens of thousands of things that can be done, countless things that can happen to us that can cause us to stop loving someone. There are. There are things in our minds, there are preconceived notions in our mind that make it hard to get over so that we can love. There are lots of reasons not to love someone. But Father, I pray that because you have sent your Holy Spirit, your advocate, your your spirit of truth, your comforter, 
the presence of Christ living in us, God with us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray that by the power of that spirit, alive and active and at work in every single one of us who have placed our faith in you, that you would empower us in this moment right now to love like we have been loved. That whatever it is, that whatever the hurdle it is that we have to get over, that we would see just how small it is when it's compared to the hurdle you jumped to love us. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to lay that down, to push the hurdle over, to leave it on the ground, and to never walk over it again, never use it as an excuse again to keep us from loving. But Father, help us to always unconditionally love our brothers and our sisters in Christ and those not of Christ. And if you're struggling to forgive someone, if you have a wound, a deep wound that you haven't been able to let go of, if you have something in your heart that you're holding on to and just haven't been able to release, you haven't been able to set it, set it out of your life, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I know many of us in this room have something that we need to forgive. We have something we need to let go. We have something we need to lay down. We have an offense against another person that we're still holding in our heart. We have an offense against another organization, maybe even another church, another spiritual leader, whatever it may be. We have an offense that we just need to permanently and completely let go of. And Father, I pray right now in this moment, in this very instance, that you would set us free from that that you would set us free from that holding on to, that you would set us free from that clinging to the past, set us free from that thing that we're just wanting to keep so that we feel whatever it is we're used to feeling and that we're afraid to walk into this new life that you have of freedom in forgiving someone. Father, help us to set that down, to lay it down, and to forget it. To stop keeping record of the wrongs that have been done to us. to completely, wholeheartedly embrace loving that person. Not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, but because you have loved us so unconditionally. Help us to love them. And ultimately, Father, I pray, because you're a big God and you have big power and you want to do big things, I pray that through this forgiving spirit that you're putting into each and every one of our hearts right now, that through this forgiveness that we're receiving so that we can pass on and through this unconditional love that you have given to us that we can pass on to one another, that you will, through that love, that you will draw these people who have wounded us deeply into a, a faith-based, eternal, saving, redemption-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us now in this moment, in this time that we have this morning, that you would fill us to overflowing with your love, fill us to a point where love is bubbling up out of our lives and that those who do not have any hope, those who have not experienced love in this world around us, that they may come in contact with us and they would see hope, they would see love based on the work Jesus Christ has done in us, not because we're performing to a certain level or because we're acting a certain way, but because you have empowered us to love in a way that only you can take credit for. And Father, help us never to forget, never to forget how it all started, how it all began this Christmas season. Remind us, Emmanuel, God with us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name.